0: This is Retrospective Facilitation, a podcast for facilitators that want to make their retrospectives even more effective. Listen to industry experts, authors, and executives that advocate powerful retros share their stories and insights on how to reflect, adjust, and become more effective. To receive updates on the latest episodes, subscribe to our newsletter at thisisretrospectivefacilitation.com and win a chance to ask questions to our guests. All right, welcome back. In this episode, I will interview Paul. Uh, Paul uh, did not run a retrospective with the Beatles, but the title seems to fit. uh, Given an example, he gave about a technique called uh, ORSC, which stands for Organization and Relationship Systems Coaching. He said, when you coach the Beatles, is different than coaching John Paul Ringo and George individually now Paul will share stories about Orosk and uh, other facilitation techniques and his facilitation journey enjoy the show Paul thank you so much for being uh, a guest on the show would you like to introduce yourself for the audience
1: Happy to. And thanks for having me. So, my name is Paul Tevis. I run a small, and by that I mean one person uh, consultancy called Vigemus Consulting. That's V I G M E, V I G E M U S, which is Latin for We Thrive. Um, I uh, began my career as a software engineer and engineering manager um, before discovering. Uh, sort of agile coaching and the whole notion of agility. And that's really what drew me into facilitation and uh, and that coaching space, because I discovered in my early projects that uh, in a lot of cases, what was holding us back was not our technical challenges, but our ability to actually work effectively together. Um, I encountered uh, Extreme Programming Explained in about 2002, and then uh, also read uh, Elihu Goldratt's The Goal, uh, where he introduced a theory of constraints about the same time and just started thinking about how is it that we can work together more effectively um, than I was really seeing at the time. And that led me on a long, uh, wandering, um, and really enjoyable journey uh, over the last, uh, I guess, 18 years now to sort of arrive at the point now where I work with uh, with individuals and with organizations. Uh, to help them figure out how they can work more effectively together
0: nice and we briefly met at a uh, open space conference in Southern California and then uh, we met again at the um, uh, at the consultants gathering in, in Portland so that's where I came, yeah uh, pitched you for the uh, session so can you tell us uh, a little bit about the work that you're currently doing and what makes you passionate about it
1: sure So a lot of the, there's really two pieces to the work that I do right now. One, I do a lot of uh, one-on-one executive coaching where I'm working with technical leaders who want to work as effectively with people as they do with technology. Um, Because as many of us know, uh, and many of us had the experience of, uh, some of us got promoted into technical management because we had good technical skills, but that doesn't mean we were necessarily good managers or good at working with people. So I work a lot one-on-one with individuals who really want to level up those skills, who want to lead more effectively. Uh, And I do that because I love working with individuals, but I also really love working with groups. So the other half of the work that I do is both in helping groups reflect on things that have happened and helping them learn in a retrospective fashion, but also helping them plan, helping them do strategic work moving forward, um figuring out a lot about how they want to be when they work together, and what it is that they are really trying to accomplish together. What are the things that are getting in their way. And both of those actually have in common, I think a lot about patterns and systems and structures, um, because as individuals, we have our own patterns of thought and our own patterns of behavior. And those constrain what is possible. And oftentimes, when we really want to grow, when we really want to do things that are different, we actually have to take a step back and look at what are our patterns? To what degree are they serving us now? They have served us at some point in the past, but how can we re-examine what those patterns are and whether or not we actually want to, to use them now or we want to try something different? And when I work with groups, it's the same thing. It's those same patterns of interaction rather than necessarily just patterns of thought. You also have the patterns of thought happening at the individual level. But really looking at what are the patterns of interaction that are happening between individuals in a group that's either helping them to achieve their goals or holding them back and getting in the way. And then I can often point those out and then they can make conscious choices about whether or not they want to continue to use the patterns that are keeping them uh, where they are or whether or not they want to, uh, with some help, disrupt those patterns and, and make different choices about those.
0: Nice. And uh, if you're uh, facilitating a meeting or a retrospective and you notice some of those patterns, what would be like a a quick way for someone uh, that is listening to this to uh, address some of those patterns? uh, Yeah.
1: So a lot of uh, my first move in most situations is just to point out what I'm noticing, Uh, just to make an observation. Right. So, for example, I um, was yesterday working uh, with a team where they're doing some, it's the beginning of 2020, they're doing some strategic planning about what it is they want to be achieving in 2020. And um, there were these three groups that were working on sort of brainstorming around what they needed to do in order to accomplish what was going on. And at one point I noticed that they my interpretation of what was happening was that they were getting a little frustrated by what was happening. And I was just like, huh, I'm curious about that. And so there was kind of a lull and I just said, Um, So I'm wondering, is anybody here feeling frustrated um, by what's happening? And like 70% of the hands in the room went up. And I was like, okay, I'm wondering, that that may be caused by the fact that we don't have as much time for this as we might like. And there were lots of nodding. I'm like, okay, cool. And what's interesting about that is, as soon as I made that observation and people kind of like recognized that that was happening, the level of anxiety in the room went down. Like just by acknowledging what was there, and, and so you can do that at kind of that um, emotional level where you're kind of uh, in one of the, the tools that sets that I use, we talk about reading the emotional field um, and, and kind of noticing what's happening at that level. But you can also do it at the purely observational level where it's things like, I'm noticing that of the 12 people in the room, only three of them have spoken in the last uh, five minutes. And then just leave it there awesome yeah
0: yeah the uh great prompts and um earlier we were we were chatting and you mentioned the um organization and relationship uh system coaching and how that how much that changed uh the way you you operate do you want to share that with the with the audience
1: yeah so that's actually where the the thing about reading the emotional field uh comes from so uh about five years ago um I went through uh, It's a a professional coaching program that's specifically designed to help people work effectively with groups. And what's interesting about this, there's a lot of, so the International Coaches Federation, which is a a professional body for for coaches, has mostly focused on -on one-on-one coaching, which, which I do some of. But this is a program that really, it's ICF certified, and it's, a, it's about how do you look at groups as distinct entities rather than purely collections of individuals? The way that I sometimes explain this is I say, um, so there's, there's the Beatles, right? There's two different things. There's John, and there's Paul, and there's George, and there's Ringo, and then there's the Beatles. The Beatles is somehow different from just the collection of individuals. And so the ORSC uh, approach is really about how do you coach the Beatles, rather than coaching the collection of John and Paul and George and Ringo. And it's about, um, sometimes we, we uh, do an exercise where uh, we actually take strings, and we have strings that are between all of the people in the group. And so you can see, sort of you can visualize the web of connections and the web of relationships that exist between the people. And we say, So that's the thing we're actually trying to coach. Uh, We hold the individuals in soft focus, but we focus on the web of relationships and the web of connections between people. And so what's interesting for me is taking that perspective into facilitation work and into retrospective facilitation work and being able to flip back and forth kind of between the, the views of I'm watching the individuals and I'm watching the space between uh is is a real it's been a really powerful addition to my toolbox that's awesome
0: the the example of the beatles is definitely is definitely a, a, a
1: one that resonates i have to use uh, you know something that i assume most listeners will actually uh, have heard of <laughs> and remember yeah. the indi- the members who make it up right
0: <laughs> yeah Totally. And, uh, so would you say that you jump maybe sometime between those, like between the Beatles and then jump uh, and then on, uh, on, on maybe like addressing, uh, separately something that is like specific to John or to Paul?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's really about, um, uh, having that lens where I can, I can sort of notice. So, uh, I, I tend to collect, uh, models and, and tools because, uh, I like to be able to, to kind of look at situations through different lenses. And so being able to look at, hey, I'm noticing we're getting stuck here. I'm wondering, oh, I've noticed that I've only been focusing kind of at that individual level. I wonder what might happen if I changed my focus. Would that get us unstuck? Um, there's sort of an opportunity to, um, you know, to to get new information when you, when you use a new model. Um, and so I... I, I will jump back and forth sometimes very consciously uh, and sometimes unconsciously because I've been steeped in this for so long. It's just kind of like sometimes I don't even notice that I'm doing things. So that piece around um, around like reading the emotional field that I mentioned, that's noticing sort of how that web of relationships is vibrating, but then just reflecting it back. Um, there's a, a piece in, uh, in the orisk model where we talk about how one of the coaches jobs is just to reveal the system to itself that when we do that when we as that sort of outside observer are able to say, "Hey I think I'm noticing that this thing is happening uh, that that is now the system can kind of become self- aware and can make adjustments uh, there's an idea in in a lot of uh, human systems thinking that when um, that systems change when they gain new information. And so a lot of my role when I'm facilitating from that perspective is just about giving the system new information about what's happening with itself. And sometimes that's the information that the system needs in order to, in order to make a change. So going back to that you know, point around, like I'm noticing that in the last five minutes, only three people uh, have spoken out of the 12 who are here. Sometimes that's enough information to cause a shift in the system. Sometimes it's not right. Sometimes that the, the ingrained pattern persists. And so I might choose to do something different if I believe that that's not helping the group achieve its goals. Um, that's
0: no I'll finish off. Uh, yeah.
1: I was going to say, I I'm, I'm thinking about a years ago. I had the opportunity. I know you've had Esther Derby on the show. Um, and I had the opportunity to participate in the uh, problem-solving leadership uh, workshop that uh, Jerry Weinberg and Esther Derby um, uh, facilitated, uh, and, and I used facilitation uh, deliberately because I learned a ton about facilitation there, one of which really informs my perspective now, which is that a facilitator is someone who is trusted by the group to make decisions about structure and process in order to help the group achieve its goals. And so that's kind of what I'm doing at that whole time is I'm, I'm asking, is the structure and process that we're using right now actually helping the group achieve its goals? And if, I, and if it is, then, and then I, I'm hands off, right? I don't need to do anything. I can just step out. But if I'm noticing that it's not, then I start sort of paging through what are the, what are the options that I might have for using some alternative structure or process? Yeah.
0: And I was just going to say, it's really depending on the context. Mm-hmm. So some of those things I was like, um, I'm, I'm coaching this, this group and just yesterday we were like planning retrospective for today. And we're going to touch on like retrospective preparation right after this. But some of the things is like, um, they went through this course and they expected like a checklist, but there isn't so much of a checklist, right? What's your yeah. opinion
1: on that? Yeah. It's hard. I mean, um, so I'm doing a lot of work now where I'm doing a lot of co-design. So like I spent the last two days with, uh, with this team that's, um, they're doing some strategic planning for, for 2020, but part of that was also retrospecting on 2019. Like they needed to sort of learn and carry some things forward. So like we were, um, one of the things that we ended up doing was around, um, you know, what are things that allowed them to achieve the successes that they did have in 2019? And then what are the things that um, they, as we kind of phrased it, what happened that you would rather not repeat, that you're worried might happen again? Uh, And why is it important to you not to repeat that? And we kind of captured that because unless they change, unless they do something different, those things will probably come back. Because then that became fodder for what we were doing when we were planning 2020 stuff was are we actually addressing these possibilities like that this might happen again because we said we don't want to do it so in the process for planning that I was working it was a group of about 20 that I was going to be working with and I had sort of three senior folks um, who were responsible for running this who I was co-planning this facilitation with and so while I ended up being kind of the front of room leader for the event itself they were intimately involved in helping lay out what are the goals, what do we think will be useful for the group or not useful for the group? And and that that process is very collaborative and I love doing that kind of thing. But it means that they're gonna have a lot more context than I do, right? I can't just come in and say, great, I have my, this is my how you do a a retrospective and strategic planning workshop template done, Um, right? I I can't do that, I mean, I can. Uh, If like, you know, the entire, you know, the first 60 minutes is do this activity and then the remainder is then do something that seems like it would make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so I do, I try to, as much as possible, involve the people who really have knowledge of the context and what the real challenges are in, in the planning of it. And so we, you know, kind of laid out the whole timeline of what are all the things that we're going to do. They were bringing up hey, we want to make sure that we address these things. And I was bringing in, you know, as a facilitator, my sense of, oh, here is a structure or a process that I think will actually help you achieve that goal. And so, so co-designing it that way. Um, And that, that's really one of the ways that I, that I, I like to work. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a challenge. I remember, I, you know, starting out running my first, you know, several retrospectives as a, uh, you know, as a scrum master and kind of going, well, I read this book and it says I should do things like this. Um, and, you know, and I think, and I, that's, that's kind of what you have to do when you start, because you have no idea, you don't, you don't yet have the knowledge to, to be able to decide what would be appropriate to do. But almost always, Whatever it is that you're picking is going to be more useful than not picking anything at all. Right? Uh, there's, a, there's a great line in um, Jerry Weinberg's uh, Secrets of Consulting where he says, uh, whatever your client is doing, recommend that they do something else. Because as he, as he points out, like they wouldn't have brought you in if everything was working great. So they need to change something. <laughs> and, 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 and so there is a lot of, you know, and to get into that, you know, the complexity space that, you and I've talked about a bit, it's like, try something, see what happens, and then have a plan for what you're going to do if it goes well, and, and what you're going to do if it doesn't, um, and be ready for that.
0: Nice. And I like to use the word structure. So earlier I said, like, there's no like checklist. I, I like to and to, to have like a structure in the retrospective, mm-hmm. I think the uh, the five steps, the um, what, so what, now what, I
1: mm-hmm. think that
0: uh, resonated as something that doesn't really, it's not really like a checklist, but it's just a way to guide the group. How how do you yeah. feel about?
1: Yeah, I, I so I love structure and I have to recognize that many other people who I work with do not love it in the same way or do not get as excited about structure as I do. So I try to kind of hold that lightly. but. What I started to think about more and more is the notion of the arc of a uh, of a of a gathering or a meeting or a a conversation, um, and this and, and thinking about what is the shape of that um, that journey that I'm I'm helping the group go along, uh, what and that's really what it is that I'm doing as a facilitator is saying okay I think it would be useful if we arranged things in this order because that might help bridge from A to B to C to D. Sometimes when I will design, I'll actually design backwards, right? Where it's like if the group wants to end here, what would they need to have gone through in order to be able to get there? Okay, so they would need to go through that. Okay, so then in order to, to get to that point, what would they need to have gone through and kind of design backwards that way? And so I'm not telling, I'm not influencing, I'm influencing, but I'm not dictating what the content is at any of those given points, but I am shaping kind of the journey or the path that they're going to go on, Um, again, influenced by what they've told me that their goals are, like what is the shape of that? And so that shows up both at the the larger level when I'm doing like a multi-day sort of engagement, but also even like within particular tools or, or activities that I do that have more than one step, there are often, um, there are, there's often an arc through that. Uh, like a, the um, In many of these uh, tools that I use, there'll be like a series of questions that will get asked of the group. And the questions happen in a particular order and the types of questions that happen happen in a particular order. So for example, um, I was doing something with a a group where we were the goal was that um, they really wanted to have a sense of how well did people understand what this vision that they were being asked to contribute to was and like how well did they understand it and could they do something about it like because that was the, the ultimate goal was they wanted people coming out of this gathering with a Great, I know what, what we're doing and I know how I can contribute to that. I know what I can do. And so we did this activity um, as a group uh, called Constellation, which is one of my favorite tools ever, um, which involves moving around in physical space and taking a stand for actually what, what is true for you and what you believe in. And then kind of that reveals things to the group. And so that there's a series of questions that get asked and they get asked in a particular order. So it, we start with, how clear is this to you? Like, how much do you understand this vision? And people kind of arrange themselves around that. And We hear a little bit about, for, from people who are more clear, like, why is it more clear to them? For people who are less clear, what are the unclear parts? And then we sort of go into that next phase, which is around, how compelling is this to you? Like, how much do you believe in this? Does this inspire you? um and it's not worth asking that second question until you have a sense of what the first question is. um and then the third question is really around like how committed are you to actually doing something about this. and so that's that arc right understanding uh that that sort of uh, excitement and and commitment. don't start by asking so how committed are you to this vision? <laughs> because right and so so that's what i think about a lot with structure and even going you know to the the sort of classic you know five stages of a retrospective, like the arc there matters. Like I remember doing a workshop with, um, with Diana Larson, who, you know, who co-authored the Agile retrospectives book. And she said, you know, we're not really taught how to do sense-making and decision-making as groups. We're used to doing it as individuals. And so part of the reason why, in the, their sort of five-step model, those, four, those three in the middle, where it's like we're gonna gather data, we're going to identify themes. And then we're going to decide what to do. She says with groups, you have to stop them at each stage to not just, otherwise individually, we're going to jump immediately what to do. And, mm-hmm. and so so the structure really helps them go on the journey together rather than a bunch of people racing off to different, different uh, destinations. So, yeah, I'm a big best believer best. in it. Yeah, the whack a mole <laughs> retrospective. Yeah, um, exactly, and totally.
0: And I think that, that's one. Sometimes one of the challenges is like realizing that retrospective in time to to slow down and to mm-hmm. give time to kind of reflection. Yeah, um, I think the we just like you gave a few examples. then uh, I, I like to have like, a, and this kind of leads into the preparation for uh, mm-hmm. a retrospective uh, facilitation day. And um, the way I phrase it to to, to the people I was uh, talking to yesterday is. Well, you don't, you, there might be a scenario where you're too dumped into a room and you need to like deal with uh, facilitating that room. But if you know that it's coming and you have the opportunity to prepare to, like you were saying, ask questions to the people in the room, uh, wouldn't that be better? And I feel that is one of the, the misconceptions that often we kind of like go into uh, automatic mode. And I wanted to see what's your take when you are uh, facilitating a retrospective or how do you prepare? What's your, uh, there was an interesting tweet, uh, this week by, by someone that at the end I'm going to add a, a comment to, to, to your, your response.
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think preparation really is key. Um, because, you know, when, when you're facilitating a retrospective with a team, there are so many things you could do. Like there's kind of like an infinite number of things you might be really trying to achieve. And, um, and that's a trap, right? Uh, I mean, on the one level, yeah, you know, anything you do is going to be useful. Um, but it's going to be more useful if you don't try to do everything, right? If you don't try to boil the ocean. If you focus on what are the critical things that this group really needs to, to, you know, what's going to be the best use of this group's time? That's kind of what that preparation and that design piece is for me. Is okay. We have this much time. How can we get as much value? out of that time as possible. Uh, and it's the as possible part that uh, is always the, the challenge, right? It's like recognizing that there's always going to be stuff you wanted to have done. Um, and you know, you and I have interacted in, in open space environments and, and on a number of occasions. And I kind of live by the, the principle from open space that whatever happens is the only thing that could happen. Um, and you know i it, i i've as i've grown as a facilitator and as i've done this a lot more i've kind of let go of the notion that oh i could have made it different and like yeah i could have but saying oh i really wish we'd achieved this thing can get in the way of noticing what all the things we did achieve so for me preparation is really about choosing what to focus on and what not to do like what are we not going to worry about here today i 'm remembering um, years ago i um, one of the one of the early facilitation experiences I had with a, an agile team and it was a team that hadn 't really done retrospectives before and i I ran this and i I brought in a bunch of activities because i'd just come from uh, from the agile conference uh, my first uh, time I attended in two thousand and ten and I was had all these things that I wanted to do, and I did this retrospective with them and part of it was they generated a list of possible things they might try, um, you know, things they might want to go do um, to help get, you know, help improve things. And it was, you know, a list of like 15 or 20 things. But we ordered them, right? And so we said, "Cool. So we're actually going to go do the the top two off of this because we think we can achieve that in the time that we have." And I remember the the manager of the group coming up to me afterwards, and he says, "So." So how do we collect the other 22 so that we can go do those next? And, and I said, you know, and I, I, I don't know how I realized this, but I said, we're not. Um, here's what we're going to do in you know X amount of time. We're going to have another retrospective. And some of those things will still be issues, in which case they'll come back. Some of them will just have gone away because they were one-time things. They were not systemic. They, they're not going to recur so we don't need to worry about them. Like no point in spending energy on them. And some of those things uh, are just going to get resolved because we talked about them. Like someone will go do a thing, and we don't need to plan. And just to, and he looked at me like like I had I I'd said something like I'd grown a second head. And then we did another perspective at some point in the future, and he just said, "You were right." And so. You know, choosing what not to do and what not to try to do in a retrospective is almost as as critical as, you know, deciding what you are going to do. Um, and so for me, planning is a lot about, here are the things that we, we're not going to worry about this time. Maybe that's the focus for the future, um, that, but, uh, but what, a, what is going to be the most valuable thing that we can spend our time on right now? Awesome.
0: That's uh, it's great. We were actually we we run a retrospective today, and similar to that to that kind of mindset, we had like some issues that we we're aware of that are outside the team uh, uh, area of control or influence.
1: Mm-hmm. And so
0: we kind of like that's something that we're following up with different channels. And we didn't want to just like spend an hour talking about things that we yes we could come up with a plan on how to uh, how to react to. But it's uh, so it was like maybe there is another space where we have more agency. And given that it's one of the first retrospective we're doing as a team, maybe there is like uh, uh lower, lower hanging fruit there. Uh, again, yeah. it's good to always check, check in with uh, with them. And I, I really like what, what you said about like touch basing with, uh, with the teams, uh, with the team members.
1: Yeah, we used to do. So when I was um, an internal coach uh, in an organization, we, we used to do a lot. And we we're like, hey. You know I know we've got this retrospective coming up in a few days I'm I'm thinking it might be useful to us or I'm wondering if it might be useful to focus on this and just see how the team reacts right again it, we're gonna probe probe uh, sense respond right this would be like and they either go you know there's a couple of things where they just kind of nod okay fine you know whatever right which happens a lot um, particularly if they've not had great experiences both retrospectives um, you know, or they say, you know, oh, no, you know, I'm wondering if maybe we should focus on this instead. You're like, OK, cool. Got information. That's good. Uh, or they go, oh, no, actually, yeah, that sounds like it's, it's it would be really useful. So just doing those to kind of get him, you know, and that's what I do a lot as a, as a facilitator and as a coach. Like I have an intuition that's informed by my experience, but I all, and so I want to I want to respect that, but I don't want to trust it too much. I want to validate it. I want to put it out there and see, like, is this just me or 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 is someone else also picking up on this? So I'm like, I think this I'm wondering if this would be useful. My sense is that it might be. Um, And then uh, to something that that Diana Larson often says, you know, follow the energy. Uh, My um, so I do a lot of. uh, as a, my friend Judd says, physical culture sorts of things. I, spend, I, I go to the gym a lot. I do uh, some martial arts. Uh, and one of the things that my, uh, my strength coach says is, we talk about what's the best workout. And the best workout is the one you'll actually do. So it's like, what's, what's useful for a team to focus on in a, in a retrospective? The thing that they actually have the energy to engage with, the thing that they'll actually do something about. That, in some ways, like, that's the most critical thing.
0: Yeah. And we we mentioned that, and I think she's, and I think those those activities, she has a couple of activities. One is IEC, like the uh, energy that you have. So it's really easy to kind of like, once you come up with ideas, okay, how much energy do we have, collect that from the room so that we have like, we take on the ones that we have more attractions. And similar to the one with the, how often does it happen? I think she has one called FREM, which is frequency and impact. How often does Mm -hmm. it happen? what's the impact that alone helps kind of like easing into like, okay, where should we focus if we go in and we have maybe like, uh, in some cases, like multiple, multiple areas or multiple things to, to cover. Um, nice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, When I learned uh, from Diana, when I learned that the first activity you talked about the whole, you know, I had in my head, this idea, we always have to go after the highest return on investment, uh, you know, it's got the you know we, we rank things in terms of like the impact they would have and like how much you know what effort it would actually take to do and then you go to the you know so what do we actually have energy to do and you're like okay those are actually the things we should do because we'll get them done like we'll actually do them um and so not a, not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good uh mm-hmm. is, is really important yeah
0: nice uh, cool so uh i think um as we are uh, kind of like uh, heading uh towards the uh towards the towards the end is there like uh, any any tip that uh, maybe you want to give to uh facilitators that uh want to uh, make their retrospectives even more effective like what is the one thing that comes to mind
1: yeah so this is one of those maybe it's just me sorts of things um I was having a, a conversation with a, a colleague of mine um, about a year or so ago, and we were talking about leadership, and she was really introducing me to this concept of of post-heroic leadership. and How can we um, really help develop leaders instead of in this mode of these are these amazing things that this person has done, everyone should be aspired to be like them, right? It's much more of that space of as a leader, how can you, Work with systems? How can you grow people? Like, how can you create a culture that doesn't require heroism in order to succeed? And we drifted into uh, the notion of uh, post heroic facilitation. Because as a facilitator, I know I went through a phase where I felt like I was taking on full responsibility for the results in the room. uh, That if things didn't go the way that I wanted them to have gone, that was my fault or if the team did not achieve the results that I believed that they were capable of or or picked the action items that I thought they should, that was somehow my fault. Um, And what what was interesting about that, so when I went through the the ORSC program, um, part um, part of that program is that you record coaching and facilitation you're doing with groups, and then you listen to that recording with a member of their faculty, and you get feedback and evaluation on, uh, on, on what you're doing, like to the extent you're using the, the tools effectively and, and coaching and facilitating effectively. And what was interesting for me is that, well, one of the things that came up in several of my supervisions is that uh, I had a need to be seen as competent by the group, and that actually inhibited Uh, Their ability to achieve the results they were capable of like I was and I was doing it again for the like the best possible reasons I wanted to reassure them that I knew what I was doing and we could get there and we could go and we could do this thing But it was an artifact of me just taking responsibility away from the group and putting it entirely on myself and That meant that they weren't actually I was get I was part of the problem. I was getting in my own way and so I think that's a, it's a long-winded of way of saying, I think one of the most useful things that we can do as retrospective facilitators is sometimes just to get out of our own way, right? To, to embrace that idea that whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Um, and, and to tend to it, um, there's a wonderful uh, image, that a metaphor that um, Faith Fuller, who's one of the co creators gave to me, um, where she said, when I'm working with a group, I visualize them like they're a spinning top. And as long as the top is spinning, I don't need to touch it. If I notice that the top starts to wobble a little bit, then I just want to tap it just enough to get it to where it's spinning solidly again. And then hands off. Don't tap, 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 tap. Just one or two taps to notice, okay, everything's good again. And then step back. And I think uh, uh, I will speak for myself. when I started out as a facilitator, I was doing a lot of tap tap, 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 tap tap when that wasn't a service to the group. It helped me feel better that I was doing something, um, but it wasn't actually helping the team create the results that that they needed. so uh, th- that's that's kind of my uh, my perspective on facilitation, particularly when uh, when you're really getting started with this is don't shoulder that whole burden yourself. Don't feel like you have to continually tap the top. Let it, if it's spinning, let it spin.
0: Nice. All righty. And as we are like uh, reaching the, uh, the end of the, of the recording, um, a couple of other questions that I ask uh, the, the guests. Uh, what is a book that you are reading right now that you want to share or that you just Ooh. finished reading?
1: Uh, so a book that I just finished reading is Sinking in Bet by Annie Duke. So uh, I just finished that, which is great. So Annie Duke, many people might know her as a professional poker player. What most people don't realize is that she has a master's and was all dissertation and a PhD in cognitive psychology. So the book is actually about decision-making and how do we make good decisions when we don't have all of the information. And in particular, it has a notion around the idea of resulting, which is that we often go, oh, well, this turned out well, therefore the decision must have been good, or this turned out badly, therefore the decision must have been bad. Uh, and, and she points out that that's just not true. And we fall into that cognitive bias all the time. So how can we kind of really look at our decision-making and evaluate it for what it really is without falling into those traps? So I just finished reading that and um, that's uh informed a lot of my reflection on pieces of my career so that's 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 in my head right now
0: Nice, nice um and then uh, is there any anything that we missed that you want to share and or any project in the pipeline for you that you want to share
1: um yeah so i uh i'm excited uh so i'm gonna be at um uh agile up in san diego in i guess it's march that that's coming up excited about that i love Uh, open space, the the Southern California area, so Agile Open SoCal, where you and I ran into each other in Irvine is every year in September, and this will be the first year that I've gotten down to the San Diego uh, version of that that spun off a few years ago, and that's just a great community, so I'm looking forward to sort of being in that space. Uh, I I don't have a ton of stuff um, in the pipeline that I can really talk about right now, and most of it's client work anyway. Uh, so nothing uh, really big in public facing, but uh, as I'm sort of entering this uh, this new year, I'm excited by all the possibilities that are kind of laid out in front of me.
0: Nice. And how can our listeners uh,
1: find you? Sure. So you can find me at thegamus.com That's v-i-g-e-m-u-s.com. You can also find me at paultevis.com, which might be a little easier. I'm also on Twitter at Vigemus. Uh I'm on LinkedIn. Um, on Facebook as well. Uh, so I'm kind of all around.
0: Nice. And the last question I asked to every single podcaster, I thought maybe I shouldn't ask anymore, but what is your favorite food?
1: Oh, my favorite food. I, uh, I love strawberries. I grew up, uh, with this notion that strawberries were my favorite food. and I'm, I'm sure that there's actually now something that I actually really enjoy more, but I just have this, like, I've mentally anchored on the fact that strawberries are my favorite food. But they've got to be, like, I, I have a very particular taste, about I, I'm very judgmental about strawberries. There are a lot of strawberries where I go, nope, these are wrong, nope, these are wrong. But when they're mm-hmm. right, when they have that right flavor to them, and I live in an area that actually grows a lot of strawberries, so I do actually have access to them uh nice. on, a, on a fairly regular basis so strawberries my favorite nice
0: food. and the reason i asked this f- final question is like when i started a podcast because like a year ago i don't think i've said this before it's like if i had all the guests all together mm-hmm. what's one way to learn something about each other
1: yeah right?
0: so having knowing what the favorite food is for everyone can can help with that
1: yeah. Well, and, and you know, food and meals are, are, are personal and very intimate things. So when you and I were together in Oregon, one of the things that I yes. made a very deliberate point about was trying to sit next to a different person at dinner every night so that we could, we could connect more over food. And I will say I have run retrospectives uh, with food involved. I had a, a, a team for a long time that really liked doing them in the morning. And so we did retrospectives with breakfast burritos on the beach in, uh, in Santa Barbara and that's kind of magical
0: Our guests share lots of insights and ideas which change are you going to try in your next retrospective tell us on Twitter with hashtag thisisretrospectivefacilitation or leave us a comment on thisisretrospectivefacilitation.com If you'd like to connect with Paul go to thisisretrospectivefacilitation.com slash e slash 17 for his uh, details and uh, more contact information thank you for listening this is Enrico Teotti till next time